Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. topic today is dealing with loss and survival, and as you said, Mom, our first guest is Dr. Catherine Stangle. Dr. Catherine Stangle lost her husband at age 33 and was left with two young children. She is the author of November Rose, A Speech on Death, a personal yet philosophical book on death, love, and survival, the stigmatization of the survivor and the survivor's search for a new identity. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Oh, it's glad. I'm so glad to be here. How are you, Heidi and Gloria? Great, and it's great to have you on the show. We were talking a little bit before we came on the show uh, about the fact that uh, Catherine is originally from Germany. Um, were you you were in Germany when your uh, husband died? And well, it was a little bit more complicated. We are actually I had a teaching position in Seattle, and he had two. He was sick um, two years before he died. He um, they discovered um, colon cancer that had spread to deliver already, so it was last stage, basically. Wow, and what a shock. So we were, you know, we were both uh, devoted to our, you know, our intellectual life as well as our private lives, and that brought us to Seattle. And when he died, we flew back to Germany, so he died in Munich. But then I went back to Seattle, actually, and um, with my two children and um, had to go back teaching. Now, how many years ago was this that he died? That was in 2001. Mm-hmm. 2001. So you you were quite the childhood sweethearts, right? Yeah, we yeah we were. And what was his name, by the way? Felix. 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 So it, so you were quite the childhood sweethearts, yeah. right? We met when we were 17 and moved together when we were 18, and then had. Two children, and you also were, separated and went to graduate school. I mean, you, I mean, got your didn't you go on different? Uh, you study abroad. Yeah, no, study we studied abroad. abroad, but you know, we were just we didn't miss. I think we didn't spend two more than two weeks apart, even when we were in different countries. We uh-huh. were in, I studied in Belgium for a year. He studied in Italy for a year, and then um, we both went through our PhDs while he was actually sick. So that was uh, oh my goodness was a big challenge, and um, he finished with, you know, I think after his first um, chemotherapy treatment, he had his defense, and he did fabulous. So that was, um, you know, that was um, very challenging, but as it is, um, I don't know, I mean, we all go through these phases in life, and somewhere energy comes uh, from some bottom of our hearts and (laughs) our existence that helps us with these well, some of uh, some of the um, widows that we've had on the show, and you're remarried, right? I'm remarried. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later. But some of the widows that we've had on the show have said that it was a shock to be such a young widow. Mm-hmm. That there really weren't that many people to support them because you weren't supposed to be a widow when you were, you know, that age. That is right. that is true. And I I told Heidi it's very ironic because you get these brochures that that, that are. You know, that's, uh, that are gestures from the state um, to help you cope with it. And on it are these pictures of really much older women. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, you get your retirement um, funds and things like that. And it's, it's very strange. And 
usually in a doctor's office when it really hits you the first time you go back to visit a doctor, you have to cross, make that cross as widowed. And that's when I really, it really got to me because I, I hardly could do that. I somehow didn't feel like that's the right cross to to put there somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because you have to say single, married, or widowed, and and I hardly could do it um, at that time. And you had these kids. How old were the children? When my husband, my first husband died, they were five and seven. Yeah. And so you had to think about making a living. I had to think about making a living. Um, I had some help. I, I was uh, fortunate I had some help from my family, but I definitely, yeah, I had to think about how to do this all. And to be a single parent, point. to be a single parent to two little boys. But, yeah, but I had, you know, wonderful support um, from my family and from also my uh, now husband, uh, Michael, who, who was wonderful through that time. He was a very old friend of myself and my first husband. Ah, so he was able to help you. How were the, were the financial challenges? What were your biggest challenges to begin with? Oh, well, you know, that's an interesting question because it's, it's almost, it's so big that I don't know which one was the biggest. The biggest was just to get from day to day, take it every day and, and, um, and, and move on. And I think, I mean, what helped me a lot is that I allowed myself to really live my emotions. So I just, you know, cried all the way to the university. I taught and I cried all the way back and I didn't try to, put on a straight face or, you know, pretend that I'm happy or do so. I just lived with the waves, and I think that helped a lot. Well, Catherine, you are a working philosopher, right? That's right. <laughs> and what does that mean? And tell us about your book, because I think your book is very connected into that and your organization, Westside Philosophers. That's, that's very right. Um, actually, the book was really my professional call in a certain sense. As I said, when my husband... My first husband was sick with colon cancer and died when my two children were very young. And I was a philosopher at that time already, but, um, you know, studying in, at the university, finishing my Ph.D. And I always thought, you know, as philosophers, we deal with the most existential questions in life. And I realized that most often philosophers think uh, only about um, their own death. That's what they're occupied with. And um, there's actually this famous saying that says to philosophize is to learn how to die, ah. so to prepare for your own death. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know what, the real problem in life is to prepare for the death of the others, of the ones that you love. And surviving it. And surviving that. And so I thought, there, you know, there's just not one real book out there, a philosophical book that looks at it from that philosophical existence human perspective and and deals with these questions, what it means to really survive the death of a beloved and to live with that death when death becomes your daily companion, basically, and the loss of the loved ones is something that um, changes your whole life. Mm-hmm. So how would people get your book, November Rose? They will get it in any bookstore. They'll get it on Amazon.com. Um, they find more information on our website, which is um, www.westside-philosophers.com. And we, you know, being an active philosopher, I also decided, you know, we started that um, that center for philosophy here, the Upper West Side Philosophers in New York. And 
I wanted to open up a place where people can come to who really want to philosophize, who want to think philosophically, just like Socrates did. You know, he was available for everybody. He wasn't locked up in some university or um, he was just there for people who really like to think through life philosophically. Oh, great. Now, if people want to have some thoughts that they want to share with you, could they get a hold of you? Sure. I mean, they find all of our uh, contacts on the web page. If they just Google Upper West Side Philosophers, they find everything, and they can write me an email. There, Our email is on there, westsidephilosophers at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to talk and write um, to people and answer questions, um, you know, whatever questions they have. Right. Uh, Heidi, did you have something you wanted to ask her? Yes, I did. You know, you talked a, a little while ago, Catherine, about death becoming your daily companion, which I totally agree with. And with that in mind, you you say something in the book about how death is a turning point in life. So how do we go from death becoming our daily companion to having death as a turning point and, and not only surviving but finding hope again? Because I know yeah, that's what you've that's, done. <laughs> that's, of course, um, a very profound and, um, and deep question. I, I mean... As, as we all know, who I mean, you and me and, and Gloria, we all went through that. That there is not really a recipe for you know how to how to as I say as I say in my book to love yourself back into life. I don't want to say to move on because there's nothing to leave behind. I like that to love yourself back into life. It's really you carry it with you, and I think what I mean. It sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. What is important here is that you have been left by someone and you didn't want to be left. You have been basically deserted by someone you loved so much and they didn't want to leave you either, but that's just a fact. And I think what is such a crucial point that I experience as a crucial point is that I had to say goodbye myself again. So you cannot just hope that it's going to pass. I think it's very important to find that moment when you can say goodbye to this person you loved, and that doesn't mean that you really let them go. When you can say goodbye, that only means that you can get over that point where death becomes that crucial, pivotal point of your last common shared experience. So what the dangers of, of, of surviving is that we hold on to this moment of death, and that becomes everything we're holding on to. And we think if we let go of death, we're going to let go of all of the beautiful memories and of the person we loved. But it's the opposite. When we can let go of the death, we fall into that love and into the in all of that energy that we shared with this person before they died. Oh. Well, and you said that beautifully in the very, that is said in the last page of your book, and I loved that. I'm wondering if you could read that for us. The very end? Yes, where it says, or I can read it, where, we, where we're guided by love. Mm -hmm. I, w I would love to. That's the very last page of my book, November Rose, A Speech on Death. We were guided by love through the trials of illness and dying, and as we entered the sacred halls of death, we were wholly united in love. We left these sacred halls through different doors. Love remained. His as well as mine and ours, the love that has carried our family through all the storms and squalls of death back into life. 
That's so beautiful, wonderfully said. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the stigmatization of the survivor. What about that? Yeah, well, that's something uh, that's also, you know, at the core of my book. Is, um, and that's, of course, not for the newly bereaved. It's, it's really what comes a little bit later, as I say, when the storm passes and you kind of, everybody gets, as I, in quotation marks, back to normal because you're not going to get back to normal, but everybody around you is. And mm-hmm. that's when you realize how complex the social situation is for the survivor and as a widow, you realize that um, in that way that wherever you show up, people, you're like the walking shadow of death. They look at you and they remember that you were two before somehow. Right. <laughs> like your better half literally is missing. And, and so you don't know how to deal with that because you're not seen as the person you are anymore. You are seen as that half person, that person, a creature of leg as I call it, and that's very difficult to deal with. And what did you say? You call it the creature what? Of lack. Of, you oh, know, the like creature, you're oh lacking, interesting, like the creature of lack. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. How did you get over that? How do you deal with that? Or just do you recognize it and just plow through it, or what What do you suggest? <laughs> yeah, I thought, I mean, my, my task as a philosopher was, I mean, for me it was very important to put that in words, to really right. think through this and think like what is actually happening to us and, and our environment and the people around us when when someone um, beloved died and so so I try to describe it first and foremost in my book and um, I think that that already is helpful to understand where everybody stands and why people do what they do or say what they say. Um, I think that's already um, helpful. Absolutely, because looking at it as part of the social system really says it's not about you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm sure that I did, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm better because I experienced it or analyzed it, but I say I learned something important from from my thinking through these um, complexities, and that is that we, I think that the, the grieving person is in a whole different territory. And what we usually don't do is we don't take that time to really visit them at their, in their place, basically, where they are. We, we kind of try to do it fast, get through that uncomfortable emotional situation really fast. And I think that's one of the things I learned and how you can confront a grieving person is, first of all, take your time and also see where they are because if they're in a, in a happy mo- mood, you don't have to you know, plow right into, oh, you know, how do you feel? I mean, so there's not one recipe for all kinds of encounters, and that's what I think is the crucial point, that we have to develop more emotional skills, basically. Mm-hmm. And what about the paradoxes of monogamy? Well, that's, yeah, that definitely is something I <laughs> I felt um, the hard way. Um, it's, it's And particularly, I mean, I, I don't know whether... Everybody would agree, but women have a harder time than men. Women, you know, you get a very double-bind message from your relatives and also friends and, and acquaintances that basically the first thing is, um, you know, move on and I hope you're going to date soon, hope you're going to fight someone. But when you found someone, you get the other message that you're, you know, that you're basically not faithful. It's too early. Yeah. It's kind of too thing. early. It's not the right person or... You, you hear this, you know, there's a lot of sentences like, um, well, you seem to be happy, like assuming that you can never be happy again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's sentences, uh, there's just all of these assumptions. Um, like I had this one friend call me on the anniversary of the death of my first husband, and she said, well, do you ever still talk about him? And I almost fell off the joke because I thought I was sitting. But I thought, like, I mean, I can't even talk to her anymore because that's just a question that is beyond. <laughs> it's beyond the well, beyond, especially when you have his two children. And, yeah, you know. I, I mean, there are times when I would think it would be the assumption it, that, that uh, you could replace him with another man exactly. when people aren't replaceable. That's yeah. what I call the replacement theory. People really think it's like when one, and that's particular. I mean, sometimes that happens with children that die, too. I heard that from a friend whose um, child died in, chi- in, in the day it was born. And the same thing, like, oh, I'm glad you had another one. Right, like, exactly so. Well, you know, um, it's gonna, time to close our show. I think you have just whetted our appetite tremendously mm-hmm. for people who've suffered loss to get your book, November Rose, and to, you know, think about these issues because it does become less personal. I, I love this philosophical point of view, don't you, Heidi? Yes, it's wonderful. It's great. Do you have one piece of quick advice that you want to give to folks out there, one last thought you want to leave them with? Well, it almost sounds, sounds banal, but I think, you know, listen to yourself. Listen to and, and don't give too much about any other person's opinion, what you should do, what moment, what time, you know, when. Just try to listen to that voice because I think that voice you hear is not just you. It's really the love the person left with you and the love it, it, the person who died has for you, and that's what you hear, and that's a strong voice you can follow. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Catherine Stengel. Thank, thank you Catherine. for having me, and thanks for that wonderful work you're doing for, the, for our community. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.